He's a police sergeant. He was involved in a deadly shooting. He developed post-traumatic stress disorder, self-medicated with alcohol, a DWI arrest, and he was able to rehabilitate his career and get promoted. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, letradioshow.com. See you there. Contact us from Montana. We have Jeff Stovall on the phone. Jeff is an active duty law enforcement officer. I believe he has the current rank of sergeant. That may change in the near future. And as I said, he's active. So usually, we're not allowed to say what agency they work for. He, on the other hand, has the ability to say he works for the Billings Police Department in Billings, Montana. Jeff, first of all, thanks so much for your service. Secondly, thanks for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Well, thank you. It's an honor and a privilege, and I appreciate you having me. You are, in many ways, an example of miracles, that miracles happen among us all the time. And we'll, un, people will understand the reasons why we say it in a moment. But if you are like a lot of people and you automatically think someone gets arrested for DWI or operating on the influence, whatever the legality is in your state, you want to throw the book at them. Jeff is a perfect example of what often leads to that and how people recover from that. Jeff, I got to tell you, before we go into it, Billings, Montana. Uh, by the way, I watch Yellowstone, so I'm kind of an expert on Montana now all of a sudden. Hey, there you go. <laughs> in 1883 and 1923, my wife and I don't miss an episode. But besides being a beautiful Absolutely. area, yeah, people would think right away, and we don't do politics on the show, they would think, hey, it's a very conservative area, uh, and most conservatives, they will not do progressive things. And if a police officer gets arrested for DWI, their career is over. Yeah, Correct. Correct. But that's not been the case yeah, with your agency. No, it hasn't. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, a, a testimony to that. Um, you know, I was arrested for uh, DUI in 2020 um, after you know going through some stuff with uh, with an officer involved shooting, with a divorce, with you know, kind of the the personal and professional life kind of button heads, and uh, just kind of an explosion in my life. So, yeah, it, uh, I was given a second chance, and uh, I'm I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I'm an example of of what a second chance is, and and how you can can best uh, take advantage of it. One of the things that uh, the miracle of this has not lost on me, and I'm not an expert in police suicide, but, but there seems to be a few things that are in common, and it's been a problem since I was a rookie, since before then, which is a long yeah. time ago. 
PTSD is an issue for many of these. Substance abuse, with self-medicating with alcohol, which is a depressant, is another issue a lot of these. And these are two red flags yes. for you. Uh, marital Absolutely. relationship personal problems is another one. And disciplinary problems. When all those collide quite often, the end result is suicide. And yet, you are here and you're still in a job. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, there was a uh, <clears throat> there was a time after right after my DUI where uh, that suicide almost took me. Um, so I, I've been there. I've I've lived it. Um, I've pushed through it. Um, there's been so many different factors as far as you know, with support system, whether it's whether it's friends, whether it's family, whether it's uh, you know my my faith in God. Um, so many different things that that help push me through it. But yeah, that uh, it, it almost got me. And uh, you know, knowing that <clears throat> Montana's. Uh, there, there's the stigma is is real here, um, and we're constantly as a state, not just professionally as law enforcement, but just as a state altogether, we're we're consistently in the top three of of suicide here. Um, so it's it's real, it's prevalent, and uh, yeah, it's something that uh, I I had to overcome myself. It's been a big big issue for law enforcement, for other first responders, and military for a very very long time. Before we Correct. get into your throws with with alcohol abuse post-traumatic stress, all those sorts of things. There was an incident in your career that was yeah. kind of a turning point for you. Can you talk about that? Yeah, uh, November 17th of, uh, of 2017, actually. Um, <clears throat> it, uh, we were sent to a domestic violence situation. Um, we had a, a suspect who repeatedly came back to the point of, uh, he came back and rammed the victim's car, um, threatened her life, um, that we had a pursuit that ensued, um, and ultimately we were able to kind of get his vehicle stopped in a uh, in a parking lot, and uh, a standoff occurred. We, you know, verbally tried to communicate with him, um, introduce some some chemicals, uh, uh, pepper spray, to try and get him out of the vehicle, and <clears throat> it, everything kind of broke down to the point of where he uh, backed his vehicle into the into some other cars and then put it in drive and then tried to run over uh, two of two of our police officers one being my sergeant at that time and one actually was the uh, training training officer that I was in charge of training at that time so uh, we you know opened fire um, and were put in that situation and um, you know ultimately had to take a life which is the one of the worst bigger biggest nightmares that an officer has to go through it's something that you don't ever go into work uh you know wishing for wanting to do it's something that we don't want to do it's something that we you know it's 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 our nightmare it is so i i had to live that that night and uh yeah it it, uh, it took my career on a different path for a while and i'm sorry that you had to go through that i'm sorry the other ones had to go through that some things you said that really i think people really need to hear more about this person and i don't want to talk about them they made choices they made decisions and if they had maybe not done 50 different decisions they'd still be alive today it wasn't totally in your hands you did what you had to do to survive and for the others to survive but this person had Correct. choices and they made choices yes yes yeah i mean it was anywhere from you know, it, de-escalation, it, there's so much focus on that across the country right now. That's something we tried to do. We tried to talk, you know, through the window of the car um, to the point that there was a window that was slightly rolled down. So, you know, that there was there was uh, they were able to hear us. 
Um, <clears throat> we continued that for, for several minutes um, to the point of then deciding that, um, you know, it's time we're going to introduce some pepper spray to try and get them out of the car. You know, we did that. So we, we introduced some other, other chemicals to, uh, to try and de-escalate that way. Um, and it, uh, the decision was made. Um, there was a, a visual confirmation between the, the suspect and us. He looked directly at us and put the vehicle in reverse, backed out, looked at us again, put it in drive, and then drove directly at our officers. So several choices that were made. Um, and again, we were forced into that position. Again, not something that we ever wanted to do. Um, and, you know, the aftermath of it, I'll tell you, it's, it's, uh, it sucks. It, you know, just, just raw. It, it sucks. It's tough. Um, it's something that haunted me for a long time and affected me in ways that I never, the day that I signed up to be a police officer, I never knew it would affect me in that way. Um, I was sitting back the other day and watching a TV show, <clears throat> or we were watching the Sarson. And it's funny that, you know, it, it always comes up and it says, you know, viewer discretion advised. Yeah, and I bail immediately. I'm telling you right now, Jeff, <laughs> I tell you, I'm, not a, I tell you. I'm not a tough guy. I bail out of those yeah. very quickly. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's funny. When you get into law enforcement, there's not a parental advisory. That explicit content, that is real life for us. That's what we live day in and day out. We live through the trauma. We work through the trauma. We see everybody on their worst day. We wear, you know, how many different hats in a day from a, a police officer to a counselor to a parent to a financial advisor to, you know, it, you name it. We do it to a doctor, you know. We, we wear those hats every day. And we see the trauma firsthand. We're getting our hands dirty in that. And we don't get that parental advisory. So no one on the backside of things um, mental health comes huge into play, you know, doing that over 25 years, you know, 20 to 25 years, seeing, you know, 800 plus the statistic, 800 plus critical incidents that a law enforcement or first responder sees to your normal everyday citizen sees three. Yeah, it's a you big know, difference. That's uh, mental health comes in. Yeah, we're absolutely. talking with Jeff Stovall. He's an active duty police sergeant in Billings, Montana. When we return, we're going to talk about the PTSD that he developed, the substance abuse with self-medicating with alcohol, and, well, disaster struck, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. Don't go anywhere. This is Law Enforcement Show. We'll be right back. My wife, the boss, and I have teamed up for a brand new podcast. It's called Haunting or Not. We combine traditional ghost stories with a little bit of comedy and a true crime aspect to talking about these. Are they real or are they bogus? That's the Haunting or Not podcast featuring myself and my wife, the boss. Be sure to look for it wherever podcasts are served. It's called Haunting or Not. I am Meg Marie O'Rourke from Harmony with Food. Do you ever wonder what foods you should or should not be consuming based on your own unique needs? At Harmony with Food, we are now able to determine exactly what foods we should or should not be consuming through advanced testing. Test, don't guess is the motto at Harmony with Food's BioUnique Boutique program. It has never been easier than now to determine what food, drinks, and supplements you need for your individualized needs. Head over to harmonywithfood.com and click on the testing tab returning to our conversation with jeff stovall police sergeant in billings montana he was involved in a deadly shooting back i believe it's in 2017 
and develop post-traumatic stress disorder. We're going to talk about that, how it led to abuse of alcohol, which led to a DUI arrest. Oh, but there's an unexpected twist to that. I got to say this, Jeff. I was married once, divorced once. I'm remarried. I've been married almost 25 years. And met my wife long after retiring from police work. But many things about me are still, we joke, I'm damaged goods, but I'm okay with that. I I accept that I'm not (laughs) going to be like I was before this job. I was in four officer-involved shootings in a little more than uh, 11 years. And fortunately, everyone survived. The first two, I never fired a shot back. But all of them left an effect on me. And when you talked about yours, it left a profound effect on you, didn't it? It did. Absolutely. Absolutely did. You know, it's uh, just thinking about yours there, you know, four of them, it's, it's compound interest and it's not always just officer involved shooting. It's, you know, seeing, you know, an infant death or a, you know, the carnage from a car crash, but all that stuff is, is it's, uh, it's compound interest on, on the mental health of us in in law enforcement or us first responders altogether. Um, And yeah, that was part of it. You know, I was, I was seven years into being a police officer uh, when I got into my shooting and, you know, it just, that was, that was kind of the tip of the iceberg. That's what, that's what kind of set it off that lit the fuse and, you know, we get to the point of PTSD and an explosion in my, in my life. Um, so yeah, it, it, uh, you know, going into that, um, again, that day was kind of normal. It was something you don't expect. And, um, you know, you don't think your, your normal PFMA, as we call them here in Montana, or domestic violence, uh, is going to end in a deadly shooting. Um, but the the saying goes that those can be some of the most deadly shooting yeah. or deadliest situations, and it ended up in a shooting. I've got to say this. In my case, anger became a real issue. There was many other symptoms, but anger really got in the way of my marriage. Correct. How long yes. after the incident did you start developing unwanted behavior? Um, you know, I, honestly, it was the day that I came home. Um, <clears throat> no fault of her own. I won't, I won't put it on her at this point, but, um, you know, it, she didn't know how to react when I came home, when I made the phone call and told her I was just involved in a shooting. I'm okay. Um, and we left it at that and she hung up the phone without saying goodbye. We, when I came home that day, um, it wasn't a, I, I need to sit down and talk. I need to lay this out for you. It was kind of a, well, I, I don't really want to hear too much about it. I got to go to work. Um, and so in turn, what did I do? I opened the fridge up and there sat a, there sat a 12 pack of beer and that became my, my therapy for a while. That became my best friend. Uh, that was my escape. Um, you know, that, that was my adrenaline rush when I was away from work was to drink and drink until I blacked out. And then the memories of, of, um, feeling alone, the memories of the shooting, um, some of the stuff I experienced in the dreams, you know, I, I, you know, when I was in a shooting, I started dreaming that I was shooting my children um, and just kind of dealing with that. I'd wake up in, in a, you know, in a sweat and just soak in my bed. And what did I do? I went back to my fridge and it was beer. Then it turned into whiskey. Um, and we continued on from there. I get it. I, I get the the progression. Uh, a lot of people would say. Mm-hmm. And I can I can re- relate so much to the the, the nightmares, uh, and and some of them are very much connected to the incidents I was involved in. Many of the worst ones had nothing to do with it, but there was always an underlying. I never had those before. Yeah, right, right, yeah, and they that's you know there's there's a dream that I talked to my dad about. My dad was a police officer for 36 years before I was, and. Um, <clears throat> 
I talked to him before getting into law enforcement and he said, you know, there's always a dream where you have to point a gun and you pull the trigger and you can't pull it hard enough or the bullet just falls out of it the It dribbles out the, the end like it doesn't work. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I had those and that was kind of expected. I was ready for it. But, you know, when it hits home and it starts affecting your family and, and you know, when it gets to that personal side of, of your children, you know, they're your lifeblood. Right, they're they're uh, a part a part of you, and when it when it affects them, and you start having dreams about shooting your own children, it's just something you don't want to live with. So, I uh, I went to alcohol because it made me forget it. It made me um, it made me angry though because I was alone dealing with it alone, and but then on the other side of it, I was the tough guy. Right, I can get through this. Uh, I, I played football my whole life. I work out. I'm a good sized guy. I got tattoos. You know, and I'm a cop, right? I'm on the SWAT team. I'm, you know, I'm getting ready to work for the U.S. Marshals Task Force through Billings PD, and I'm I'm one of those tough guys. So I I don't I, I can push through this. So I can just push it away. I can tuck it down, put it in that cabinet, and then uh, you know I can just drink the rest of it away. So that that was my approach to it, and that's that's where it uh, that's where that behavior started. I can understand all of that, and the other thing is. This is the the nighttime stuff, and that's part of the equation. What we're we're not talking about is the daytime while you're awake, because uh, it'd be great if it was just nighttime disturbances. I want to say great; yeah. it could be doable for most of us. However, this kind of thing leads to a lot of symptoms that makes relationships almost impossible. It does. It does. Yeah, you know, you you're numb. And I was very numb. You know, you come home and you don't want to talk. You want to isolate yourself. Um, if they do talk to you, you're angry, um, you're upset, and you don't you don't necessarily know why. Uh, and a lot of it comes back to your cortisol levels in your body. Um, I I wasn't aware of what was going on with that. I didn't know why I felt numb. Why I couldn't I couldn't connect with with the normal community. All I knew is is when I put on my vest and my badge, that was that was. That was my home. That's where I wanted to be all the time. I I worked myself to death during that time because that's what I knew. Um, that's where I felt safe. I didn't feel safe at home. I didn't know how to communicate at home. I didn't know how to be vulnerable and how to say, I'm having an issue. I'm having a problem. Um, so that, that created a huge divide. And by the way, he used to joke about the term vulnerable all the time. I'm still not real comfortable having a conversation <laughs> about it. Yeah, I hear you. It, uh, it makes you kind of get that shiver when you say the it, word. It even. Does. And, and no matter what's going to yeah. happen, I want people to understand that Jeff and I are not going to wear matching outfits and go antiquing together. We can talk about being vulnerable. <laughs> no, that's sir. about the extent of it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's as far as we're going there, buddy. One of the things that I always say is I was fine when I was on the job. I knew my role. I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew my job. Mm-hmm. And the, as long as adrenaline's going, it's great. It's when things got quiet that the real problem started. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And that's you know that's part of it is uh, kind of some of those symptoms of PTSD where you're dealing with some of that stress, and the only way that you can deal with it is you have to. It's it's stress induced, and to get your you know your adrenaline and those endorphins up in your body to kind of counterbalance that cortisol. Um, so you become addicted to it. You know, we hear of, you know, officers all the time. I mean, I, I was 
you know, I, I'm not a heights guy. I'm not anything like that, but, you know, driving fast and drinking and doing that stuff was, was my, that was my escape. Yeah. That was, uh, that gave me the adrenaline rush that got me back to feeling normal. Like I was back on the job and doing that kind of thing. Risky behavior uh, so he, becomes, uh, 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 the yeah. norm for, for lots of us. We're Correct. talking with Jeff Stovall. He is an active law enforcement officer. He's a police sergeant in Billings, Montana. Uh, he developed PTSD from a fatal police involved shooting. He was involved in, uh, which led to substance abuse, alcohol abuse, self-medicating, and a DWI arrest, which we will talk about when we return. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Return conversation with Jeff Soval. Jeff is uh, he's an active duty law enforcement officer. He's a police sergeant. He got promoted after this incident, which should let everybody know that people can be rehabilitated, that jobs can be saved, that lives can be saved, and careers can advance. In spite of PTSD, and in spite of substance abuse with self-medicated with alcohol, and DWI arrest. And I gotta say this, Jeff, before we get started your story, I don't know of any cop anywhere who ever wants to have police involved in their life at all. And never, never mind being the source of having to put handcuffs on me and take me to jail for right. something like DUI. And it's something that right. we all kind of shiver when we talk about. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> it's your worst nightmare to to have to wake up or even be in a car and and uh, your buddies, you know, guys you work with or guys that you know, um, they're having you step out of the car and they're you know, they're having to do their job and, you know, they ultimately have to arrest me for, you know, driving under the influence of alcohol and it's embarrassing. It is, you're, you're so mad at yourself and ashamed because I put one of my fellow officers in that position to where he had to arrest me. You know, we're, we're the guys that we cover each other. We, you know, we have that camaraderie. We're buddies. We do this, we do that. You know, we cover each other on traffic stops and not that night on that night. I made, one of the worst decisions of my life and I drove you know while I was intoxicated uh, tried to drive home and uh, fell asleep at the wheel <clears throat> and the lady behind me uh, honked her horn um, no response from me and uh, I sat there until the police or well I slept there until the police got there and I woke up and I remember looking up and seeing you know the the uniform and I immediately just knew it and I just got out of the car and I, you know, Hey, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to fight this. I'm done. You know, I am, if I could have pled guilty that second, I, I tried to do everything I could to do. You know, I owned up my actions. I realized it. Um, and then, uh, that's, that's kind of where, where life started to slowly 
change around for me. And in turn, and I started realizing some things. So being arrested for DWI was, was your bottom and also kind of helped save your life. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, you know, there was it looking back on it. It did. When I was in the situation, I was embarrassed. I was, uh, you know, I had just been put on the, the, U.S. Marshals Violent Offender Task Force. I was assigned that. I wasn't a part of the Marshals, but I was still with the Billings Police Department. Um, but I was a part of that task force, and that was one of the dreams of mine. I had just, you know, I'd been on the SWAT team for, you know, uh, three, almost three years. And another dream of mine, two of the most highly sought after positions in our department. And I, I got both of them. And <clears throat> to have to have your assistant chief and one of your lieutenants come over and take your badge, take your undercover vehicle, um, take the keys to it and, you know, give you a letter that says you're on administrative leave at this point, pending investigation. Uh, that That's a, that's a, a hard thing to hear. Uh, one of my, my lieutenant, who's still a good friend of mine today, I remember he, he looked at me and he goes, you get 24 hours to feel bad for yourself. And then you're going to get up you're going to pull your bootstraps up just like you do every day. You're going to put your pants on and you're going to go to work and you're going to come back and you're going to be better than this. You can fall on your sword now, and this is going to shape how the rest of all of this turns out. And that's stuck with me ever since then. Um, you know, I had some ups and downs and, um, we can even get to the point of, you know, I, I, uh, I, one night I, I fell back into it. Um, I, I drank a little bit again. Um, and well, I drank a lot that night and kept telling myself, you know, I'm a loser. I can't ever get out of this. You know, the, the world's crashing down on me. And, uh, I, I put my, my service pistol in my mouth that night. Um, I tasted what a Glock tastes like, uh, that cold steel on my mouth. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty doggone close. And I don't, I had a picture of my kids sitting right next to me while I was doing it. I, you know, I may not be here at right now, but, uh, I think God spoke to me that night and told me, you're not going to do this and to stop. And, uh, that, that night is when I committed to myself and I committed to everyone else that they didn't know. And that's where my, that's the night that my life changed. And that's, you know, a few, probably a, a couple months after my DUI. How long ago was that? Um, that was, I got my DUI in 2020. So we're, we're looking at uh, about three years now. So a lot of people don't make it beyond that point. Look, I could tell you story after story after story. I believe that's divine intervention. I don't know why. I I don't know why some are picked and some are not. I just don't understand it. But it's obvious you've been given a second chance at life. And I got to go back to the conversation with your lieutenant. How profound was it? And it borders on what we used to hear, Jeff, was like, and different accents. I was in Baltimore, and they pronounced the word police, police. And the the saying was, you're the police, suck it up, buttercup, you can lick your wounds later Mm -hmm. on. And that sounds harsh. That sounds horrible. But that's what we're told all the time. It's almost what your lieutenant said to you. But he said, you get 24 hours of grieve, and then you got to get busy. Yeah. Yeah, he he recognized that I needed that. You know, you have you have time. Get your thoughts together and come up with a plan, and you're going to push through that. Um, and then you com- compound that with when I went in to get my discipline from the chief when I got removed from my my units um, and the SWAT team and that stuff. <clears throat> the chief looked me in the eye and he said, "He goes, you are going to come back better once you are done with this." And he goes, "I expect you to be better. I know you are better, and you will be better." He said, "You're going to be an example for this department of what success looks like." And he goes, in one year from now, you are eligible still 
to put in for sergeant, and I expect you to do it. And I that that still brings a shiver down my yeah. down my neck when I talk about it. Um, it's uh, it, had he not said that, I mean, I I would have felt like my career was over. But he gave me hope at the end of it. Is what he did, and he let me know that. Yeah, we all make mistakes. You know, we're all cops. We do, you know, we have these behaviors sometimes. And some of us, you know, fall victim to it. Um, we're not victim necessarily because we're not victims, but we, we fall into it. You know, we make those decisions, right? We're accountable for our decisions. But it's how you come out of the other side is the real testament to who you are as a person, as an officer, as a father, in my case, as a man of God, um, and hopefully as a husband again one day. Yeah. So that's that's my motivation. That's where I'm at. So you're a single guy now? Uh, I have a girlfriend, yep. Okay. I got a girlfriend with a lot of potential, and, and I love her. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the reason I bring that up, Jeff, is one of the statistics that people don't want to talk about is the divorce rate with police. When I say police, that means deputies, troopers, you name it. And oh, yeah. something changes along the way. And I like what you said earlier. I'm not going to put it on her. I can only deal with my part of it. And and that was the best way I could yeah. say it. I, look, I was of the mindset, unlike today, where we were encouraged to actively talk to our spouses about what happened. We didn't talk back then because I didn't want my spouse to be more afraid. They were already afraid enough. Right. And I didn't right. want them to think that the boogeyman was right there around the corner when quite often the boogeyman was. So it's yeah. a different time, a different era, and we have different skill sets and tools now. But the end result for so many couples is divorce. And was your yeah. shooting, your PTSD, a, a big part of why the marriage ended? Absolutely. You know, it's when we become police officers. You know, you you don't necessarily you don't just marry the officer. You marry that job. You marry that career. I mean, when we go to movie theaters, we want to sit in back. When we go to restaurants, we want to sit with our back against the wall, you know, and be able to watch the door. Um, you know, we we wear guns all the time. You know, it's it's a lifestyle change. It's it's uh, it's what we have to do to make ourselves feel safe, and that's a huge ask of somebody else who who didn't make that choice right. to even be a police officer. Uh, so that's a it's a huge ask for them to do it. Um, but when we shut off, you know, and we we don't understand what the chemicals are that are going on in our brain. It's, you know, when we go to fight or flight and we get that cortisol and that adrenaline coming in, that affects you, you know, and your body's uh, doing that over call, I think you used a term earlier that can relate to isolate. We're talking to Jeff Stovall, he's active yeah. law enforcement officer, involved in a deadly use of force shooting, PTSD, substance abuse, DUI, you name it, but he rehabilitated his career. He's going to talk about that in a few moments on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Want to win great prizes in awesome contests? Who wouldn't want that? It's easy. Just sign up and subscribe for the Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. I'm John J. Wiley on the Law Enforcement Today Show, returning our conversation with Jeff Stovall, a police sergeant in Billings, Montana. Jeff was involved in a deadly shooting, a lot of duty shooting. He developed post-traumatic stress disorder, substance abuse problems, self-medicating with alcohol, 
divorce, marriage problems, a DUI arrest, and was able to rebuild his career with a lot of help with Sean about a moment and even get promoted afterwards. Jeff, uh, I'm, I'm amazed by your story. I got to say this again. So many police, if they get an alcohol-related incident, they're arrested, their career's over. It's it's not even right. open for discussion. There is The door's right. been shut and you can't reopen it. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can say. My hat's off the Billings Police Department and the administration to to try to rehabilitate you. I, I got to tell you, they're phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they, uh, <clears throat> yeah, they they saved my life, so to speak, <laughs> giving me that second chance. That's for sure. Even with all the things yeah. that are going on, and for those who, that have post traumatic stress disorder, I want people to realize this: there is life mm-hmm. afterwards. It's not the same, absolutely, but it can be great. Absolutely. 100%. It is. You know, there's <clears throat> just dealing with it and being, again, that V word vulnerable, right? And coming out and, and talking to people and telling them what's going on and then seeking help, whether it's inpatient, whether it's outpatient, whether it's a peer support group, uh, whether it's just friends, whether it's, you know, religion or church or, you know, that type of stuff. It's, it's, you got to deal with it. And it's that silent ticking time bomb in the room that nobody likes to talk about. But it's it can destroy your life if you let it. One of the things you said earlier that I could really relate to is I don't consider myself a tough guy, but I, I've got a lot of strong willpower and I could solve mm-hmm. a lot of problems. And I would apply myself to solve these problems, but I didn't realize I was using a problem to try to solve the problem, which made things worse. And I couldn't understand it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's you're just you're kind of wrapped up in it and. You don't, you don't understand. You don't have all the answers. You don't know why you're numb. You're, you know, looking for certain outlets to, to up your, you know, your adrenaline to feel like you're, you're, you're at home, which is basically your work at that point. And yeah. And then that becomes frustrating. And then you get in this spiral effect, you know, you emotionally disconnected, you got a bad attitude. You're, you know, you're looking for substances that help out, um, you know, career setbacks, uh, your relationships are falling. You feel like you're, you know, your self-worth. And then ultimately, just like where I felt, you know, you get those setbacks and you feel like you're not worth it all. And then you start looking at suicide as an option out. Yeah. And here's the other thing. So many people, myself included, had to be forced into considering letting other people help. And, and before we go into this, because I know you didn't get to where you're at today by yourself. I know that Having been there, and no one does. If we look at, let's say, two examples of pro athletes, Tom Brady, who's now retired, Patrick Mahomes, Mm -hmm. both phenomenal what they do. Very talented, very gifted athletes, but they don't do this by themselves. They have... They have head coaches, they have position coaches, they have sports nutritionists, they have psychologists, they have a whole team of people that help them every day. And yet, somehow or another, me as being street cop thinks I can handle it by myself. Yeah. Absolutely. That's that's the mindset, right? That's what we do. We're we're the tough guys. We wear fifteen different hats at work. We wear it all. And you know, we, we don't realize that some of these people we look to as heroes growing up as kids and that you don't you know, the behind the scenes of just like you named off these different coaches that they have and position coaches and you know, life coaches and everything they've got. And we forget that. And not to mention they have other players on the team that do their bit, too, to help. Uh, They they don't get to where they're at by themselves. (laughs) And if I could accept that, how how was it so difficult for people like you and me to say, okay, maybe sort of I'll let you kind of try to help? 
Yeah, it. Uh, you know, with me, it. Um, it was just. Uh, I, I could eventually see the the implosion of my life. I could see that I was caught in that spiral. Um, and my brother, who's you know, he's a police officer with me now, and he also was a combat veteran. Um, and him just reaching out, you know, and telling me, hey, this is what I went through, and just listening to him kind of talk to me about stuff that he doesn't tell anybody about. And him breaking down and talking to me kind of made me think, you know what, this is okay. I can I can talk to him. So he kind of led me down that path. And then another coworker of mine um, that, that was actually involved in the shooting with me, um, he, you know, kind of brought me that, the the faith in God and, you know, kind of talking. He's, you know, he's a, my best friend. He's one I confide everything in. Um, and he kind of, he was there, you know, he, he said, Hey, you know, if I needed him at the drop of that, he was there. I called him the night when I pulled the gun out of my mouth and he was there, you know, and just starting to see that breaking it down <clears throat> and just the, the conversations that he and I had about what are you thinking, what's going on. And that just started pulling some of that stuff from deep, deep, deep down. And in as you're talking, you're like, holy cow, this, this feels good. Like I'm, I'm getting that weight off my chest. And so the more I talked to him, then we talked about, you know, we got to the point of, I'm going to go see a therapist and I'm going to go see a counselor. And, you know, we did some, some pretty intense therapy with uh, EMDR. We did uh, some neurofeedback, hooking up and looking at my brain waves and how they were affecting when I talked about certain things and then adjusting my therapy to that. Um, some, some substance abuse treatment with, with my alcohol. And, you know, I, I got medication, so I didn't crave that feeling of adrenaline with drinking anymore um, and just kind of reshaping my life. And once, once I was able to have those people to, that supported me um, and kind of feel the love and bring you in, uh, then that's, that's kind of where, along with, you know, divine intervention, as we talked about before, but you put those three together and it, uh, it became pretty powerful for me. So what uh, was the end result is, we'll talk about it in just a moment, but you couldn't have gotten there if you didn't reach out for help. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And having some of those guys that, you know, the chief saying what he told me about, he expects me to put in, he still, he, he gave me that I was still worth something. Um, and then my lieutenant telling me that, you know what, you're going to get 24 hours and then you're going to go back to work, man. You got stuff to do. You're going to get to it and kind of giving me like, you're going to take accountability, but then you're going to work too. You're going to get there and putting those little pieces in my head. They don't, they didn't necessarily click that day, right. Or a couple months down the road, they didn't quite click yet, but it, it was, it started setting the groundwork. And then as other people come in your life and you start seeing other things, they start, those pieces of the puzzle start falling in place. And then they're like, I get why he told me that. I get what he see, what the chief saw in me. I get why my buddy came over right when I called him and what he, you know, what he told me. And then you start rebuilding yourself again and you come back and you come back stronger and better than you've ever been. Please do me a big favor. When you have a chance and you talk to those people, tell them I said, thank you for what they did. Absolutely. When they talked to you and, and the support they gave afterwards. Now, speaking of support, You've got Montana Leo Peer Support Network. By the way, you can find them on yes. Facebook uh, as a, a, a part of, I don't want to say advocacy, because that's right with that vulnerable world word. It's <laughs> right, a, a group right. that's helped you get to where you're at today. How would you describe what they do? Yeah, you know, um, we actually, I'm, I'm a secretary uh, of the board with, with us, um, MTPSN, or Montana Peer Support Network. Uh, we 
educate. Um, we identify stress. We, we educate about stress and these different uh, chemicals going on, the, the workplace stressors, occupational, you know, all those things. Um, and then we, we educate. We show you what the issues are, why we act the way we do, how we react to things, how we react to stress. And then we come up with, we get you the solutions too. We give you the resources. We give you those tools uh, so that you're not left in the dark. So, you know, so many times you go to a lot of these law enforcement classes and they tell you why you're so screwed up. They tell you that you're really screwed up and then they leave it at that or they try and give you a card and say, here, you know, come see me. Well, we're, we're nonprofit. We don't make money off this. This is a volunteer from all across the state. We're the first, first one in the nation to do this. Um, and we go out, we, we educate these departments and then we have people that come up and talk to us and we go into these each communities and we vet therapists, we vet, um, you know, uh, places where they can go and, and retreats and do those type of things. And we set those up ourselves. Um, so we, that, that's kind of where we're at. We're, we're trying to break down the stigma. Um, we're breaking down those walls and, uh, we're, we're on a mission. Uh, we want to stop that officer suicide rate. We want to bring that way down. We want to bring down, you know, the, the divorce rate. And we want to educate not just officers, but their families and their spouses too, because they're all in it together and it's a team. And when you have that team, uh, you're, you're a pretty formidable foe uh, when it comes to PTSD and that type of stuff. So we're, we're bringing help. awareness and we're giving tools. Now yep. that's Montana Leo Peer Support Network. Right now, the only place to find your organization is on Facebook. Am I correct? Correct. Yep. Yep. So we just we just actually lights went on in January, uh, a couple months back here. Uh, so we're going to have a website coming up. We'll do the announcement and stuff on our Facebook page right now. But yeah, we've got our Facebook page up and rolling in that. Um, and then we're bouncing around. I'll be out uh, doing the Special Olympics uh, out in Fairmont. Uh, it's outside uh, Anaconda, Montana. I'll be out teaching our class, getting through the grind, uh, which is our introductory class, so to speak, the, the educational portion of it. Um, and then we got a few other ones planned around the state. Awesome. We got some in Helena. We're we're just bouncing around. Getting Jeff, the word out. thanks so much for your service, and really thanks for being guest on Law Enforcement Today Show. Very much appreciated. So it's again, it's an honor, and I appreciate it, and, and thank you so much for what you do. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. We'll be right back.